This fall, a couple weeks ago, I visited the campus of, of St. Mary's College of Maryland. We were back east for a friend's wedding, and I prevailed upon Stacy to take the long drive down the Chesapeake Bay to the southern tip of Maryland, where I went to college. I graduated from St. Mary's 11 years ago, and I said for years that I was going to go back and visit for my class's 10-year reunion in June of 2018, right, right, yeah. So in June of 2018, I was in fact getting ordained <laughs> that weekend. So I ended up visiting somewhat later. For 11 years, I've gotten regular emails, letters, and pamphlets from St. Mary's. Usually they are asking for money. But this was the first time in half a dozen years that I had been back on campus in person. St. Mary's is unique. Um, at least in my experience. Despite its name, it's a public institution. It's part of the University of Maryland, which decided a generation ago to plant a liberal arts college at St. Mary's City. St. Mary's was the first English colony in Maryland, the third in what is now the United States after Jamestown and Plymouth. It's St. Mary's City is not a city, exactly. Um, it's an archeological dig. Um, and a historical center on the south end of the Chesapeake Bay. And St. Mary's College defines itself first as a liberal arts college. It, it looks and feels like Swarthmore or Hobart or Grinnell, but the student body, and uh, importantly, the tuition, are that of a public university. About five years ago, St. Mary's went through a bit of a rut patch. The college administration um, looked at US News and World Report and decided that as long as they looked like Swarthmore, Hobart, and Grinnell, they should compete directly with them. Um, in a year, they raised the tuition and lowered the acceptance rate for the incoming freshman class. Um, and then uh, in, in the space of about two months, they did not fill a freshman class. It didn't go well for a couple of years. In the aftermath, St. Mary's hired a new president who recommitted the college to the thing that makes it great. Having liberal arts life and academics without liberal arts exclusivity. So our theme for the month of October is belonging. What does it mean to belong to a community, to a country, to a world, to a time? This fall was the first time I'd visited St. Mary's in half a dozen years, and it was at times a surreal experience. The same Lucille Clifton poem I walked by enough times to memorize is still on the wall right as you come into the dining room. There's still a Blackestone room in Anne Arundel Hall, but it's actually a new building called Anne Arundel Hall, and the Blackestone room, which used to be a somewhat dusty department study filled with antiques of debatable and debated value <laughs> is now a seminar room in a new building with windows that look out over the bay. So the community and the physical campus has changed in the decade since I was there. But it still felt like a place that I belonged. And that matters for alumni mailings and for requests for scholarship funds. St. Mary's is a unique place and community, but it is not the only unique place and community that I belong to and support.
Two and a half years ago, Stacy and I met the Unitarian Church of Lincoln. You've heard this before. I have been around a lot of churches, some as staff, most as a member or a child of members. Each church has its own gifts, its own challenges. But this place captured our imagination and our affection quickly. This community captured us with resilience. Stacy and I moved here in the midst of the congregation coming to terms with Justin Osterman's ministry here and its end. And when we showed up in Lincoln, the congregation was still healing. In many ways, it, it still, we still now are. The congregation also struck us from the first conversations we had with the sense of pride and ownership in this community. It, it is a rare congregation when you're in search that as part of the search packet has a video tour of the newly renovated church. <laughs> and it is a rarer congregation for the highlight of that tour to be a look into the newly renovated and fully ADA accessible bathrooms. With, with more than one stall and no shower curtains, is my understanding. <laughs> and the thing that we've fallen in love with, with this, about this congregation, um, that, that I, I think I had an inkling of two years ago, but, but even more now, is the sense of possibility in this place. Because it is a dangerous thing to, uh, for any church to call a millennial minister the, the single example of business success of my generation, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, is famous for his motto, move fast and break things. <laughs> this is not generally considered a good motto for churches. <laughs> Dan Hodgkiss, speaking of religious institutions, sa says that institutions can serve. That's what they do. And so by nature, they are conservative culturally. There is a tension in any church and any new ministry between trying new things and conserving what has made a place special in the first place. We have done a lot of change in the last two years. We are set to do a lot more. Last year, we added a Thursday night worship service using a whole different style of music and liturgy. It has grown and become its, its own thing. In January, we are going to move to two services on Sunday morning, growing the capacity of this congregation to welcome new folks through our doors and integrate them into our community. We're moving forward to increase the availability of childcare during meetings and programming so that we can better welcome families with young children into leadership in this church. And, and this one I'm particularly proud of, in the last year, we've expanded our health care benefits so that part-time staff at this church are better able to afford health and dental insurance for themselves and their families. There's a lot of change in a short period of time. But what I hope, what I believe, is that it's like the, the second set of changes that St. Mary's went through. Not trying to be something that we're not, but taking what makes this place special our worship, our welcome to families, our care for the community and people who serve it, and doubling down on those things. 
These are changes that deepen rather than shift our identity as a community. Membership in a Unitarian Universalist church is about belonging. And people support, in many ways, the places that we belong to. Martin Wolf, um, the longtime minister, now Minister Emeritus of All Souls Unitarian Universalist in Tulsa, Oklahoma, put it this way. There is only one reason for joining a Unitarian Universalist church. That is to support it. You want to support it because it stands against superstition and fear, because it points to what's noblest and best in human life, because it is open to all of whatever race, creed, color, or national origin. You want to support a UU church because it has a free pulpit, because you can hear ideas expressed there which would cost any other minister their job. You want to support it because it is a place where children can come without being saddled with guilt or terrified of some celestial peeping Tom, <laughs> where they can learn that religion is for joy, comfort, for gratitude and love. You want to support it because it is a place where walls between people are torn down rather than built up, because it is a place for the religious dis religiously displaced persons of our time the refugees from mixed marriages, the unwanted free thinkers, and those who insist against orthodoxy that they must work out their own beliefs. You want to support a Unitarian Universalist church because it, because it is more concerned with human beings than with dogmas, because it searches for the holy rather than dwells upon the depraved, because it calls no one a sinner, yet knows how deep is the struggle and how great is the hunger for what is good. You want to support a Unitarian Universalist church because it can laugh. Because it insults neither your intelligence nor your conscience. And because it calls you to worship what is truly of your sacrifice. To all of those, we might add that each of us have our own reasons for being a part of this community. Maybe this is where you got married. Maybe this is where you came when your mother died, or when you became a parent. Or this is the place where your friends gather on Sunday morning and the world is lonely enough the other six days of the week. <laughs> we belong to this place in many ways, and we support it in many, many ways. Through service, through joining together in worship, coming here, being here on Sunday, you are supporting this church. And in each of our individual searches for truth and meaning, we come together here as a community. We also support this church financially. So there's a joke. A rabbi, a priest, and a Unitarian Universalist minister <laughs> were discussing how their congregations raise funds. The rabbi said, we draw a circle on the ground and throw money up into the air, and whatever falls inside the circle, we give to God. The priest says, we draw a circle on the ground and throw money up in the air, and whatever falls outside the circle, we give to God. The universe, Unitarian Universalist said, 
We draw a circle, we throw the money up in the air, and figure whatever God wants, God keeps. Uh, there is some uncomfortable truth to that every time we look at the budget. <clears throat> it is hard to talk about money. It's hard, y'all, for every, all of us. And it's harder to ask for money. And it's harder to ask for money in the context of a religious institution. And it's really hard to ask for money in the context of a religious institution in a culture that often equates religions asking for money with corruption. There are plenty of stories out there of so-called religious leaders asking for money because they can better serve God through having a private jet. <laughs> and, and we should acknowledge that this is in the water every time we do pledge season. And yet, in this place, we ask for pledges not for the virtue of the pledger or the church, not for us to live in ways contrary to the values we pr profess. We ask the congregation to financially support this place because it is a place where we each belong, because it is a place where our values are made concrete, because each of us have been that person in the ledger with a little s next to their name or a little o next to their name in financial support, in volunteer support, in Sundays when we come here and we meet a friend, and in Sundays when we come here and we are that friend. I think I have been all of those things in the last three and a half weeks. We live in a time and a country where making values concrete costs money. That's, that's the reality. In the budget that the congregation is going to come up, going to take up in the next few months, there are two big things that drive that increase ask, that increased ask that Teresa and Dorothy just talked about. Six months ago, the personnel committee and I asked the board to change our policy on health insurance. The congregation covers 80% of the premiums for full-time staff members, and we asked the board to cover 40% of the premium for our half-time staff members. The board agreed, and it is the reality in America in 2019 that health insurance is an expensive thing. And we are working hard to expand the times when we offer paid childcare. We're adding a second service in January, and we're planning to provide childcare during most committee meetings during the week. And I can tell you, as a person with a small child in America in 2019, that well-trained, decently compensated childcare is also an expensive thing. And these things are expensive because they are important. We want our staff to be able to afford medical care. I do not want to be a supervisor at a place that asks folks who work as hard as our staff does and then not help insure them if they break their leg. And we want the youngest of our children to be well taken care of, taken care of by consistent trained childcare providers, just like we do right now on Sunday mornings. These are expenses consistent with who we are, a community that cares for each other 
that takes ownership and embraces the, po the possibilities that we have in front of us. So where are you in this story? What are the ways that you know that this is a place where you belong? What is the Unitarian Church of Lincoln to you? Don't make your pledge tomorrow. Think about those questions for a week or two. When you have the answers to those questions, then, then think about what you want your pledge to be this week, this year, excuse me. Yeah, I know those questions because they are the same questions that St. Mary's College of Maryland emails me at least twice a month, a month with. <laughs> Colleges and universities are, are really good at raising money, and they are shameless about it. <laughs> I get almost an email a week from St. Mary's and a newsletter focused on alumni giving once a month. So remember that. If you ever think that our four-week pledge campaign is too long, <laughs> what we can learn from St. Mary's is not that we should do a year-round pledge campaign, but that our giving is tied up with our sense of belonging to this place. I want St. Mary's to thrive and grow because I want the next generation to find in that place what I did. I want more of the next generation to find that place. And I want it to take the things that make it special and double down on them. This is a congregation that wants to do big things. And make no mistake, we've got some big things in front of us. So in the next month, Give it some thought, give generously, give with a sense of belonging, and know that we are trying hard to double down on the things that make this place what it is. Amen.